Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. This is a story I think a lot of people have heard, but there's so much power in this. It gets me every time. James and Drusilla Hendricks joined the church in the South. I think it might have been Kentucky. I can't remember for sure. And they immigrated and joined the saints in far west Missouri. In early 1838, those were some of the happiest times in her life. She had a new home, a new faith, and a loving family. And then one night on the 27th of October, 1838, her life was changed, that and her family, and would never be the same. Her husband was called to go out as part of a militia group to rescue members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that had been kidnapped by a mob. As she went through the house helping James gather up his gear and get his rifle, she had a strong impression as she looked at his back that she would never see him like that again. And with that, James took his rifle and went out into the darkness and joined up with Captain David W. Patton in search for their lost fellows. That night would be the Battle of Crooked River. In that battle, Captain Patton was killed, becoming the first apostolic martyr of this dispensation. And as he lay dying right beside him, was James Hendricks, who had been shot in the neck and paralyzed. Patton would not survive. James would survive. With the extermination order, Drusilla and all the rest of the Latter-day Saints were forced out of the state of Missouri. She sold her land for just enough money to get oxen and wagon and carry herself out. When she arrived in Illinois, the brethren built her a cabin, which she then chinked and plastered all by herself. To make ends meet there in Nauvoo, Drusilla, with a family of five children, the oldest at that time was about 11 years old, began raising a large garden, taking in boarders and selling homemade gingerbread and bakery goods on the street and knitting mittens. She worked hard and did all that she could to support her large family. She would write in her diary of having to tend to her invalid husband, of having to move him and roll him and care for him, and that in the days without wheelchairs, without braces and everything else, she would have to roll him. She said it would strain every muscle in her body for this tiny little woman to lift and care for her husband. Nonetheless, she did. 
when the saints left in 1846 to follow Brigham Young in the 12, Drusilla packed up her family and went with them. She was on the Missouri River with the saints in June of 1846 when Captain James Allen came with the call to join and form the Mormon Battalion. And her son, William, who by that time was about 18 years of age, was eligible to go. And he wanted to go and answer the call of Brother Brigham and join the battalion. And Drusilla said, in effect, not these words, but in effect, are you kidding? Are you crazy? I have 1,100 miles of a journey across the plains. I need you. You can't go. And that was the end of that. And you know what? I don't blame her. Following morning, Drusilla records in her diary that she was preparing to fix breakfast. She stepped up on the tongue of the wagon to fetch something out of the wagon when she heard a familiar voice speak in her heart. The voice said, Drusilla, do you desire the greatest glory of heaven? Yes, Lord, she answered. Then how can you get it without making sacrifices? Lord, she said, what lack I yet? The voice of the Lord came softly. Let your son go in the battalion. They were sitting around the campfire, eating their breakfast, when a man came riding through the camp and cried, Turn out, boys! Turn out, boys! We still need more men for the battalion. William looked at his mother. His mother looked at him, and she said, Go. And William packed up right there and joined the Mormon battalion. She said she watched him go. Later on that day, the pain and the grief were too much for her. Seeking seclusion, Drusilla knelt down and poured out her heart as only a mother could to a loving God. She told the Lord, you can have my oldest son if you want him, but please, please, Lord. Spare his life and bring him home. And then with that peace which passeth all understanding, the Lord Almighty spoke to this wonderful woman of awesome faith gently and reassuringly and said, quote, and get the meaning of this, It shall be done unto you as it was unto Abraham when he offered Isaac on the altar. Drusilla Hendricks has been, ever since I first learned of her story, one of my heroes. I wish I could be like that. I'm just not sure that I could. Now, this next story isn't church history. I don't even know why, but take it for what it's worth. This is a modern story. My wife and I were on a tour 
we take tours all over the world. And I was on a Fun for Less tour as an educator and guide in China. Debbie was with me. In one of the cities, I can't even remember what city we were in, when a young Chinese woman boarded our bus to serve as our local country guide. She was impressive. Her English was superb. Her knowledge and understanding of her country and her culture were outstanding. And her teaching, she was a good teacher. We enjoyed her a great deal. She was articulate and, which is unusual over there, surprisingly blunt-spoken about her country. At one point, we got her talking about the one-child policy in China. She explained what the policy had been when she was a child, that the government had mandated that couples could have only one child, and that if they chose to have another, they were punished. There were stiff fines and penalties levied against them all throughout China, and especially in the cities. Families of more than one child were very uncommon. Moreover, in China to this present day, boys are favored over girls. And even though that's slowly changing, centuries of tradition yet remain hard to overcome. Boys are still favored over girls. And today, at least three or four years ago, couples can have a second child under certain circumstances, particularly if the first child dies or in some cases, if the first child is a girl, then sometimes they can have another. She then went on to explain. She had an older brother. She was the second child. She adored her older brother very much, you could tell. We were surprised to learn after that, that she was the second child that almost wasn't this gifted, talented young woman almost was not. When her parents learned, she told us, that they were expecting a second baby, they decided against all social norms and that at all costs they would keep her. And it came just as you would imagine. They faced scorn and ridicule from their neighbors and stiff fines and penalties imposed by the government. She cost them dearly. As she told us this story, there were tears and awe among us as we listened to her describe the sacrifice of her parents that they had made to keep her. And even by American standards, it was a considerable and costly sacrifice. And that sacrifice was not lost on that lovely young woman. Her gratitude, respect, and reverence for her parents was tender and obvious. It became, and she described it to me, it became her life's work, not only to love, but to honor and support and care for her parents until the day they died. I will never forget her telling us at the conclusion of her story. She recounted a conversation she had had with her mother. She asked her mother, was I worth it? 
and her mother's answer. All of it and more. This next story. I know, because it happens every time I do one of these fireside, that if something isn't lined up right or if I don't say it just right, somebody will get offended and I'll either get a, an angry, frowny face or a nasty comment. But I want to talk about Emma Smith for just a moment. When we speak of faith and courage among women, January 18th, 1827 is a date that should be remembered. Why? Because on or around that date, Emma Hale traveled from her home in Harmony, Pennsylvania, north up to a place near Colesville, New York, to visit her sister. While there, she happened to meet up with young Joseph Smith Jr. And once again, they talked about marriage. They had known each other since the fall of 1825 when Joseph had worked in the area of her family's home and lived with her family. The two became attracted to each other, in love, if you will. And perhaps there was good reason for the attraction between the two of them. Joseph Smith Jr. was unusually tall, maybe a little above six feet tall, which is not normal for the day, powerfully built and by many accounts, a very handsome young man with light brown hair and clean-cut features. Emma, too, was described as very attractive. According to the witnesses, she stood about five feet nine inches tall, well-figured, with long, dark hair, dark eyes, and an olive complexion. George A. Smith, Joseph's cousin, would later describe Emma as, quote, the most beautiful woman in the universe, a sentiment that was echoed by others. So yeah, they were attracted to each other. They courted as well as they could according to the social customs of the day. Things like dances, corn huskings, writing poems and love letters. And when Emma said Joseph could not craft a well-worded letter, this is how she would have known Joseph's attempts well, in time, Joseph and Emma decided that they wanted to be married. So in accordance with social custom, though not required by the law, Joseph asked Emma's father, Isaac Hale, if they could be married. And Isaac's answer was a firm, resolute, no, not in my house. He did not approve and he forbade it. Now, I want you to understand how difficult that must have been at that time for Emma, she and her father were, according to some, particularly close. Maybe she was a favorite daughter. I don't know. But he was especially fond of her. If she married Joseph, what would she be giving up? That relationship with her father, her relationship with her mother, her sisters, her friends, her family, if she married Joseph, there would not be, as was the custom of the day, the cherished wedding in the family parlor with friends and bridesmaids and sisters and all the family and neighbors that she had known and grown up with gathered in celebration. Moreover, she would be giving up everything 
to go with Joseph, including a substantial dowry and a comfortable, as we can now see, a comfortable and beautiful home and a lifestyle. It was all of that, or it was Joseph. And have you ever thought about this? What kind of freight came with marrying Joseph Smith Jr.? By January of 1827, he had already been arrested twice. His name was already had for good and ill. He was not cultured, educated, and literate, and well-read, and musically inclined as Emma was. Joseph was barely literate and a rough-hewn frontiersman. Joseph was a hated and a hunted man. He claimed to have seen God in Christ. He claimed to have seen angels. If she took up his cause, she took it all. Whatever would come upon him would come upon her. All of it. On the 18th of January, 1827, Joseph and Emma Hale were married at the home of Squire Tarble in South Bainbridge, New York. They could not go home, back to Harmony, Pennsylvania. Emma knew that. A big snowstorm set in that stranded everyone at home so that Isaac Hale couldn't come after her. And then Joseph Knight loaded them both up in his sleigh and took them to Manchester, where they spent that winter and the following spring and part of the summer with Joseph's parents in Manchester, New York. On that day, and I'm quoting, to marry Joseph was to give up everything and proclaim that he was telling the truth. On that day, she took his part, and she carried it all the days of her life. If ever there lived a person who knew Joseph, who suffered immeasurably because of him and what he taught, who was that person more than Emma? Moreover, who knew him better than Emma? If Joseph Smith were a fraud, she could have and would have exposed him. She was a woman of character and integrity. Read the documents. She was no lightweight pushover. And yet, Emma, along with Joseph's family, those who knew him best, loved him most, and stayed the closest to him. She bore a witness that he was a prophet of God down to her dying day. God bless the character of Sister Emma. I have not one shred of proof, but I believe when we step through the veil, and if I'm given the opportunity to meet the prophet Joseph, Emma will be there at his side. We all make mistakes, but the Lord is there to watch out for us. We have a Savior and a Redeemer. A story. A long time ago, 
when I was just a little boy of about five or six years of age. Must have been about six. I came home from school one day. We lived on a ranch on Hayden Creek, Lemhi, Idaho. And it was the spring of the year. Hayden Creek was running full head of water. It was dangerous. I came home from school and got my dog, Stockings, and as was my habit, with thousands of acres of open mountain country, I took off and went exploring. And up the mountain I went. And I just kept walking and marveling and looking and paying no attention where I was. And then suddenly I noticed it was getting dark. And I thought about how far I'd come and realized I was never going to make it back in time before it got dark and I could get lost out here. I looked up ahead of me and there was another ranch a mile or two away and I could see the lights on. So I beelined for the ranch and got there just as darkness fell. I asked the guys, would you run me, this is friends of our family, would you run me down to my place? They said, sure. But they had this chore and then they had this feed the pigs and feed the cows and do this. And by the time they got chores done, it was darker than dark, no moon. And I kept thinking as it get later and darker, my dad is going to kill me. Those bridles and the picture and the stirrup, that stuff's all my dad's and mine. I kept thinking, my dad's going to kill me. My dad's way of discipline was the toe of the boot. And I knew I was in for it. And finally, I looked down the lane, and here came a set of headlights up the road. I stepped out in the yard to meet my dad. And yeah, I, I knew I was dead. He stepped out of the truck and looked at me. And all he said was, get in the truck. So I climbed up in the truck, wondering what was going to happen next. He said something to the neighbors, and then he climbed in the truck, and we started down the road. We were five miles or so, I suppose, from home. I don't know. I was just a little boy. We were a long ways over a rough mountain road. We went down the road about a mile or so, out in the middle of nowhere, and Dad said, get out. He never said a word until that moment, and he said, get out. And I stepped out of the truck and he started to drive away. And I burst into tears in a state of panic. He backed up, loaded me up in the truck, never said a word. He didn't have to. He took me home. And this is the moment I'll never forget. I stepped through the door of our house. The lights were turned down low. There was only a dim light. And sitting just inside the door in an easy chair was my dear, sweet, petite little mother, crying like I had never seen her cry before. She came up out of that chair and threw her arms around her wandering son and cried with a sense of relief I will never forget. From that day to this, I vowed I would never bring my mother that kind of worry and heartache again. Lord only knows how I have done. But I love my mother. And to all those of you mothers out there, past, in the pioneers, and in the present, 
who make sacrifices for your children, who love them, listen to them, don't yell at them, and bind them to you by your loyalty and your tenderness. God bless you and thank you for all that you do. I witness to you, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is with us. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Then and now, the people I have talked about are the Lord's people. God bless you and have a great day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.